Hey, church, so glad that you are carving out some time to gather together uh, around God's word. Uh, we're still in our collection of sermons called What We Mean When We Say. And here's what we're doing. We're just taking a few weeks to unpack cultural phrases here at Hill City, things that we value, things that are important to us. So there's no insider language, and it's really clear. When we say this, this is what we mean. This is what we're talking about. And so today we want to unpack the cultural phrase for the sake of others. Another way you could say that is mission, purpose. So I want us to take our attention to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read some of Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, And when Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, we love you. And God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray in the next few moments as we consider your word, that our minds and our hearts would be open to receive from you spirit unto spirit. And God, I pray that we might even today, by the grace of God and the unction of the Holy Spirit, that we might hear the call in our heart and life to the field to be workers, to be laborers alongside. And so Jesus, for that, we'll give you the praise and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. We look at the words here of, of Matthew and we see Jesus. And a couple of things I want us to point out and highlight. One is that when Jesus sees people, his first emotion is not frustration. Ugh. How many times for us? for me, is that first emotion that sort of comes out, frustration. You ever been to a theme park and go to a ride that you were really excited to ride, only when you get there you realize that that line is now two hours to wait in? Had a great vacation this past summer at Disneyland, and one of the things we were able to do is to get these passes that allowed us to get onto the line without having to wait in the line. Now, this was revolutionary to my mind and experience because I remember being my kid's age going to Disney World in Orlando and standing in line for hours upon hours. And here we are able to bounce back and forth between rides, scheduling the time, when we're going to go. But then there was a couple of rides that maybe you weren't able to schedule or it was outside of your available time. And, and I'll never forget, we were gonna ride the original Jungle Cruise ride. And as we're gonna ride the original Jungle Cruise ride, we had to wait for 25 minutes. That's not a long time at all. But that 25 minutes when you haven't had to wait in line at all seemed like the two hours and my kids were just getting tired of standing. It was hot, they were thirsty. And I remember thinking to myself, and I even said this to, to my son, I said, man, you have no idea. You have no idea the experience that you're getting to have. That there was a sense of overwhelming frustration for him kind of in that moment. Well, when I think about moments and what the predominant emotions are in our lives, and then I see this passage. These are people, this is humanity that Jesus 
creates and sees them operating and living further and further away from the purpose that God designed them for. And yet his first emotion is not frustration. It says here that it was compassion. When we dig into the language here, compassion, what it is saying, it's this sort of deep, deep-seated feeling that is not just filled with feeling, but it is actually moved to action. Yeah, it's one thing to feel something. It's another thing to have such an emotion that it moves to the level of not just thinking and considering, not pondering, but actually where it's moved to action. What Jesus recognizes is that this field, he uses this beautiful picture, that this field is ready for the harvest, that people are ready to hear and respond to the message. And Jesus says, the problem is, the harvest is greater than the number of workers that are ready to, to, to work in it. So we think about our lives and we think about the invitation to follow Jesus. We talked about that last week. We talked about discipleship. We talked about not conforming our life, but living our life with and for and in Christ. We don't do that, though, for our own benefit. We don't do that just so that we can have sort of the, the feeling or that our life would be hashtag blessed life ever. Like, it, it's not just for our benefit. It is for the sake of others. This is in the way of, the, of Jesus. Jesus does not lay his life down because in heaven there is some sort of royalty that he will experience because of that. He lays his life down so that we might experience life and life to the full. So in the same manner that we have received grace must be the same manner in which we distribute grace. Jesus does so with reckless abandon. He pours his life out. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me, Paul says, as I am of Christ. You see, if we're going to live for the sake of others, then it means we have to develop in us a Christ-likeness, that we have to have in us this, this ability to not just be formed in the image of Jesus, not just to think like Jesus, but to live our lives as Jesus. And the only way that happens is by way of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this a few weeks back in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, this idea of the community of faith moving from glory to glory, that the Spirit is transforming us and working freedom in us so that we might look like Jesus. It's the work of the Spirit. Christ's likeness is the aim of discipleship. This is what it is getting us towards all along, not just so that we can learn some things and know some stuff, but so that we can be like Christ. And hear me on this. Christ's likeness is not just something we're endeavoring to understand. You see, many of us, if we're not careful, we will experience God and we'll lean into God at just a cognitive level. We'll study it in the same way that we study the market or we study real estate or we study stats on our sort of favorite fantasy football players. Like we, we will think about, we'll think about it. Listen to me, it's not, we're not called to understand Christ's likeness at a cognitive level, but we're actually called to demonstrate it, to embody it, to live it. 
And I want to give us a few things to keep in mind when we talk about living for the sake of others. If we're going to live Christ-like, we know that that runs right into this is for the sake of others. It's our purpose. It's our mission. And the first is that the sacrifice is costly. The sacrifice, friends, is costly. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it says, And calling to the crowd with him, he said, If anyone would come after me, listen to the cost. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Friends, the only way you and I get to keep our lives is if we are willing to give it away. This is a steep and strong cost. Living our lives for the sake of others is costly. There's a sacrifice in Christ-likeness. It's also a call to humility and service. This is what Paul says to the church at Philippi, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He says, let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others, and having this mind among yourselves, which is also the mind of Christ. We serve. We live our life humbly. We think and we elevate others above ourselves, not that we are always looking to be catered to and taken care of, but we're finding ways that we might do that for someone else. All of this is for the sake of others. It's the mission. It's the purpose of gospel that we would move into the field that Jesus says is right. We do that with humility and service. The third thing is this sense of love for others. Jesus has a compassion and it moves him to give his life. And so if you and I have a love for people, if we are growing in Christ's likeness, one of the ways we can measure that is our love for others. Is it increasing in your life? Do, 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 you see, do you see people that you used to be frustrated with and now there's, there's just more understanding, there's more compassion, there's more desire to, to hear them, to know them, and then to help, help lift them up from their place? Now, listen, the, the place that they find themselves in may be a place of pain. It may be a place of persecution. Like, man, we, we can help lift them. Jesus says that there's no greater love that's shown than that someone lays their life down for somebody else. Man, what are the ways in which we are loving one another well? The other thing that we can see and the other place that we can see, this growing in a heart and a compassion for people, is a readiness to forgive others. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. It says, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so must you forgive. Gosh. Listen to me. It's not enough to just have a desire to see people lifted up, to see people cared for. We have to live a life of humility, of service, of love, but also of forgiveness. Now listen to me. Unforgiveness is the poison that can destroy your life silently. It's the thing that can you can hold it close. No one else can know about it. It's the thing that you can 
grip to so tightly and everyone else around you may not know it, may not see it, may not feel it, but it will begin to eat away at you. Listen to me, the measure in which you have been forgiven is the expectation of the way in which you will forgive others. Let's just all take a moment here and think about all that Christ has forgiven us of. Think about all of the things his grace and his mercy is covering. And now for us, why why would we live in such a way to where we receive this measure of forgiveness and we never did, like we never send out that measure of forgiveness? Man, we have to grow in this. It's for the sake of others. I don't want to just be forgiven so I can hold on to it. I want to give that forgiveness away. Another way that we can see if we're growing in Christ-likeness, if we're growing in this sort of following Jesus, is that we are participating in Christ's mission to the world. What did he say to the disciples? He said, listen, stop fishing for fish and fish, and I'll make you fishers of men. He says to them in Luke's gospel, he says that I've come to seek and save the lost. Listen to me. I don't care what your vocation is. I don't care what you punch the clock and do nine to five. I don't care what your job is. Let me tell you what you're called to do. You are called in the way of Jesus to seek and save the lost, to be a worker in this field to understand that if God can move with compassion on your heart and you'll, you'll have these things in your life, you have humility, you have love, you have a heart to serve, and you're ready to forgive. And people can see that. And this is how you participate in the mission of Christ to the world. You go out and you make disciples of all creatures. And another way that we live our lives for the sake of others, and maybe this is one that, we don't consider as much. I mean, I really hope that we would maybe start entertaining these ideas. And if I'm gonna live my life for the sake of others, I've got to have men and women in my life that are godly examples that I can look to and pattern my, my life after. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 13 says. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome and the way of their life. And then what? Imitate their faith, and imitate their faith. Who in your life right now are you pattering your life after? Who's mentoring you? Who's growing you in the faith? Who's helping give you, sort of as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Who are you able to look to in your life? Listen, if we'll grow in Christ's likeness, there's no question in my mind that we will then in return live for the sake of others, that we will live on mission, that we will have purpose in everything we do because we understand at the end of it, man, what did Jesus give his life for? He gave his life for the kingdom. He gave his life so that the kingdom might be populated with his people that we might come to know Jesus, that we might experience the salvation and the release of the penalty and punishment of our sin. Jesus uses these words, that we'd have life and life to the full. And that's not a life that I wanna keep 
to myself. Church, we are called to live in a way that is not I-centric, but in a place that is inviting a sense of we understand, hey, this is, this is not about us. It's about him be the glory. And it's about all of those who are in the field who have not yet come to know Christ. Friends, this is what we can give our life to. Grace and peace.